Hi, I'm Joseph. And I'm TJ. And this is 2021. Wait, what? (laughs) And this is Hi-Fi. TJ, how you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, you know, people, we, we try to give the people what they want, and but the, somebody who had a holiday hangover, I just, you know. We, we, <laughs> Me? You know, yes, yeah. <laughs> I did. We wanted to record. Somebody drunkenly texted me. No, I don't know if you're drunk. Now, but somebody, <laughs> I got somebody run over by reindeer, and I'm like, TJ, I'm coming out of the ER. I'm a mess. Bandages. Yes. Hospital gowns. Uh, yes. So, so you were run over by the reindeer. And so with one of your working hands, the other one was run over, but you texted me and said, I can't really podcast this week. This is just not going to work out. So, so I called up Santa and told him to call off his reindeer. And then you recuperated over the last week or so. Yes. Thank you for your forgiveness, your patience. <laughs> and I promise you. I didn't you, say I forgave you. <laughs> well, it's all in 2020. We buried everything in 2020. And 2021's a blank slate. Yeah, yeah. Well, the arbitrary rollover of the Gregorian calendar will certainly fix all of our problems. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I do have a good feeling about this week. What is the best thing that you've done this year? The best thing that I've done this year? Yeah. Uh, go to church? I don't know. Nice. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's been a couple of days, Joe. I can't, I'll have to get back to you. Okay. I can tell you the most exciting, best thing that has happened to me. I got my AirPods Max. Nice. Nice. Very very good segue. Very cool. I don't want to go into a full review, but I'll just say my first impressions that it's it's very positive. It's about what I was expecting. Uh, it is hefty, uh, but I really have to be thinking about it. And then I realize, oh, yeah, these are heavier than my other headphones. For example, right before we hit record, I told TJ about how I'm not using AirPods to record because it sometimes messes us up because the AirPods Max basically work the same way that other AirPods do. And I've used other AirPods to try to record hi-fi and sometimes it messes up the sources of input. If you have experience with audio, you know what that's like. Yes, well, you're you're revealing the secret sauce behind Hi-Fi a little bit, um, which is I edit all that out when there's trouble with the audio, or you can't hear me, or I can't hear you, or there's latency. Like I I cut all that all that stuff out. Uh, but yes, yeah, sometimes you you've worn your uh, inadvisably, I might add. You have used your uh, AirPods yes, to uh, to to record uh, the podcast, uh, even though I had an entire episode about what you should and shouldn't do. When you're recording a podcast. Uh, but anyway. Well, I, that's just your like, opinion, man. Uh, hey, who's the professional podcaster here? Oh, Actually, well, I don't find myself doing a whole lot of live recordings like this over the internet. So yeah, I, I'm playing it by the seat of my pants. And you're not wrong. I, I'm used to using the AirPods a lot more for other general use on the computer. So I thought I could get away with it. Well, the, the good thing about the AirPods was because they're sealed in your ears. You're talking about the AirPods. You were using the AirPods Pro, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're sealed in your ears, you don't get any audio uh, coming out from my from my voice over your through your headphones and back into the mic. So you don't get any of that feedback, at least. Yeah. So that's a good thing. I wouldn't dream of. I, I really don't like leakage, and yes. it's in, in super annoying to hear. It's really tough to edit. It so. is. Anyway, the, yep. the AirPods Max, they, they're heavy, but my 
my regular monitoring headphones, which I've had for years, are a corded pair, nothing fancy. You can get them for $60. And th- these things, I, TJ, after using the AirPods Max, these are like as light as a feather. It's like I pick them up and I throw them at the ceiling because I'm expecting <laughs> them to be heavier. What, what, so what, what are you using right now? Yeah, these are the uh, Sony MDR7506. Is that the ones that you've talked about before? They're also wireless or? They are wired and they're pretty okay. standard issue for your bare bones monitoring flat uh, sounding. Oh, headphones. gotcha. Recommended okay. by not... Dan Benjamin. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, gotcha, gotcha. Ago. Yeah, yeah. So you're talking about, okay, good, good. Okay, so, um, and so that does bring up a, a question that I have is, are they too heavy? Do they do they feel like you're carrying a weight around on your head? No, no, I, and I thought about and it. I, by by mm-hmm. they, I mean the AirPods Max. Yeah, I, I actually think that I've worn baseball helmets that were heavier than these headphones. Mm. And for that reason, you can understand when you're playing some sports that you don't want a helmet to be so heavy because of the inertia. You turn your head, you start to run, and the helmet is resisting you. It's like wind <laughs> resistance, and you need a spoiler on the helmet just to get to first base. But I think that these headphones are feeling weighty, but and I can understand how somebody with a weaker neck support, maybe they have some neck problems anyway, would find these very uncomfortable. But I'm finding them... Like the weight is a non-issue. They feel really solid as materials, very rigid. Uh, comparing them to a lot of plastic ones, they feel chintzy. You know, like you like if I just bend these enough, they'll snap like a twig. But the AirPods, I'd be more concerned that I'll like break my thumb trying to twist it. <laughs> and the uh, they hold your your head tight. Um, I think mm. that the pressure around the ear cups, because the ear goes right into the ear cup, I'm not getting any pressure on my ear itself. It can go in the pillowing of the cushions just fine. So the pressure is around the ear. Yeah. Good. I actually felt like after a little while, just originally, I almost wondered, is some kind of metal resting against my head? And I mm. reached up and I felt it. And it was actually the cup itself uh, being felt through the ear cushion. And I was like, oh, that's not great. But it hasn't caused any pain. And I used them for hours and my head is just fine. Uh, the real good sign, I think, was that my wife picked them up. She tried them on and she was impressed. I, you know, if she had an opinion that they were bad, I think she would have told me. And she was immediately impressed with how comfortable they were to her. And she was not telescoping the ears as much on the headphones as they would go on my head. I have to pull them all the way out. Mm. Um, for her, I think they must fit her differently on the contours. And sure. I told her about the 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 feeling I get around the ear. And she said, oh, yeah, that doesn't feel that way to me. So hmm. to each their own experience. You know, you can't replace your head, but you can always replace your headphones. Yeah, we're working on that science to replace heads. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking at, on Apple's website, pictures of the AirPods Max on very beautiful people. Only beautiful people can wear these headphones is what I'm gathering from this website, Joe. Mm. Um, <laughs> so I'm seeing that there is on the right ear cup 
are two buttons, one that looks like a digital crown and one that looks like a power on-off switch that you would see on an iPhone. The other side is empty. No, or the other side has no buttons. Let me put it that way. Um, yeah. Are you right-handed or left-handed? I'm left. Um, <laughs> which hand am I looking at? I, I'm right-handed. Okay. So I wonder, first of all, how this would affect left-handed people if that's annoying or not. But I, we, it could I, I be. Settle, I, an abnormally large amount of left-handed people are in my family, and they, you know, their experience is well. You're in a right-handed world. You just have to make do. Anyway, do you um, tell me? Tell me about the buttons. How do they work? What do they do? They okay, so I'm used to a lot of headphones that have touch controls over top of the center of the ear cup. You know, like mm-hmm. if you had a hole, <laughs> you'd go right into your ears, into your earlobe. So the touch controls on the center or the outside of the ear cup, and you could typically do up and down, left and right for like forward and back tracks and up and down volume, and maybe a double tap or click up a button in the center to play and pause. I, and that's true about several headphone generations I've had. So the digital crown wheel that's on the backhand side of the right ear cup is where you uh, press it in to play and pause and you rotate it kind of in a forward direction with your finger uh, out in the direction of the front of your face to raise the volume and back away from you behind you to lower the volume. And it actually looks like it's about three, maybe four times larger than the digital crown on the watch. So I have the watch and I couldn't tell from watching videos and looking at product comparison pictures, which what, what the size difference was, but now having it in hand, I was really surprised. It's actually a little bit larger than I was expecting. It's like the size of my index fingernail. And that being that size, it's easy to find, but it's also a new experience. So my first impression is I'm going to get used to this, but I don't have muscle memory for rotating a dial over my ear. So it's not as natural as say scrolling on an Apple MacBook trackpad where a swipe up in natural scrolling means a flick of the fingers and look at that, the page is scrolling. It's just so intuitive. Uh, the digital crown on this thing is uh, out of sight. You, you, you can't see it. And, you're, and you, so you, when you reach up with your hand, you got to find it. And then you may bump it and affect your volume in the meantime before you go, oh, no, 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 that's not what I wanted. Uh, then the the button in the front, it is by default able to switch between the noise cancellation mode and transparency mode. And I think it was Quinn Nelson who made the comment that it is the clickiest button that Apple has on a product today. Maybe even more uh, deep of an impress than a lot of their keyboards. And it really is a, a chunky impression uh, compared to their other recent MacBook laptops. So I like it and it serves just one purpose. It almost feels like it belongs in the back and that the digital crown should be on the front because it can do so much more. So I, it it really does. It, It feels like, huh, why is that the button on the front? The digital crown belongs there. But other than that, just being an odd direction, not entirely intuitive, uh, to me, and my design choices, I would have put it on the back. Uh, I think it's fine. 
And you, it, it's not a thing where it's like, well, if you press it in, you get the, to switch modes between transparency and noise cancellation. But if you press and hold, then you get Siri. Or if you ta- just tap it, then you're able to start a phone call. You know, it, no, it's not like that. It's all it does is you press the button in, you go from noise canceling to transparency and back again. And it, it's really fast. Uh, switching between those modes, there's not a voice that comes through the headphones like they do on a lot of other smart headphones that say, beep, noise cancellation off. You know, that doesn't happen on this thing. It just goes, bum. Or right. boom. It's the same noise that the uh, AirPod, AirPods Pro make, right? Exactly. Yeah. So if you already had any AirPods, a lot of the experience is the same, especially with the AirPods Pro. Yeah. The um, the muscle memory on the buttons is real, though. Um, I've been having a problem with my Powerbeats Pro over the last couple of weeks where um, apparently the button on my right air, uh, headphone is sticking and p- randomly pausing and playing, and it's really annoying. So I've been using my AirPods Pro more. And boy, I'm telling you what, I go up to press the button all the time, and it's not a press. You have to squeeze the stem, and yeah, that muscle memory is just it's, – it's killer for me. So anyway. Yeah. Ah. Uh, what uh what so what is your conclusion or, or do you feel like you can make a conclusion about these headphones are you glad you got them would you recommend them i i want to say first impressions are very positive and i want to continue using them another week and then let you guys know because i've only had a good 6 hours of using them nonstop and i want to kind of know what my head and my ears are feeling like tomorrow because yeah. pressure points can change over a few days and i'll let you know next week what i think um, so they also have a pass through mode, right? With a cable, um, where you could use them to monitor your, um, your podcast podcasting apparatus through, through a cable, right? Do they not? They, you, that is sold separately. Batteries are included. Thank God. So you can get the <laughs> pass through cable and that costs $35. And it has to be Apple's pass through cable. You can't use a different one. To date, it has to be Apple's. And like many other reviewers have already said, it's kind of a chancy wire. Mm. When I was unboxing my headphones, something that occurred to me was this thought as a consumer that everything I expected to be in the box was there. Uh, I think that the experience is akin to if you were opening an, opening an Apple product as a consumer, nine times out of 10, it's going to be one of their phones. And what you might find in the box is maybe the power brick and the power cord, charger cord, the lightning cable. And it, for many years, we were also getting Apple earbuds in the, ba- in the box as well. Well, you're not going to get earbuds in the box with headphones. So that means you're not going to get that inside of this box you would expect to get the power cable and the power brick. And as a consumer, I think your mind may have gone to the power brick more so than the audio cable because neither in the box. And if you were thinking about that audio cable, then, oh man, I would hate to be disappointed as the customer who thought, this is going to be great with my iPhone 7 or my MacBook. And the only way I really want to use it is a wire because... Oh man, that would hurt so much if I'd gone into this expecting that wire. But to be honest, I can understand a good portion of the customers thinking as I did when I got it out of the box, everything is here that I kind of expected. 
And the the thought of the wire didn't even cross my mind again for another 20 minutes as I was just fiddling with it and getting used to it. And then I was thinking, do I really want the wire? And then I realized, oh, I didn't even think about the wire while I was unboxing this. And I think that that's going to be the case for a lot of customers these days. Uh, Apple maybe is leaning in on, we haven't included things like compatible earbuds in the box with an iPhone now for a few generations. And that means that there hasn't been an audio jack on the iPhone for a few generations, which means we've already kind of conditioned people to not think about the audio jack and the wire that plugs into it. So oh, sure. yeah. we can get away with it with a AirPods Max. Yeah. Well, I'll uh, look forward to hearing how they last or don't last and uh, what you think of them after a while. Yeah. Um, I don't think they're a product for me, um, so I'm going to continue to not pay $500 for a pair of headphones. Uh, yeah. Although I may wind up having if, – if my power beats are out of warranty or Apple is not willing to um, – to work on them for no money, I may have to buy a new set, so that'll be fun. Oh yeah. Huh. So then I'll be in for almost five hundred dollars just for the Powerbeats Pro. So there you go. Anyway, yes, sir. Shall we move on to another topic? Please tell me all about your computer, your woes, your Apple TV. What do you want to talk about next? Uh, so TV OS on the Apple TV. Um, I normally just let it do its thing and it always pretty much works and behaves the same way all the time. That's kind of Uh, important. Over the last, I would say three or four years since I've had the thing, however long I've had it, it has not dramatically changed the way it works. And I, I once in a while notice new features or new things, but the core way that it works doesn't change. And one of those ways, the way that I use constantly is um, when you uh, when when you have a search box selected when you're navigating through various things and whatever app you happen to be in, if there's a search box, um, and you you navigate to that search box with your remote, uh, and it, and it highlights and you see that it's selected. Um, one thing that you have always been able to do is press and hold the um, the Siri button on the remote to start dictating into that text box. So when a, when a text box was selected, I say was, and I'll get to that in a minute, when a text box was selected prior to the most recent update or updates of tvOS, that was the way the Siri button functioned. It did not activate Siri. It activated dictation into that search box. Um, and that was great. Uh, I use that constantly because most of the time I don't want to pull my phone out and type into the search box. Or maybe I didn't even have my phone on me. Maybe I left it upstairs and I wanted to search for something and it was onerous to try to tip tap type that out with the long bar of, of letters that you have to navigate through with the silly glass touchpad on the remote. So that worked great for the entirety that I've had the Apple TV until the most recent update or updates or whenever it was that this thing updated. And I went to search and it activated Siri. And I noticed that it looked different. Like the whole search box experience was different and everything was just different. And I thought, well, that's weird. And so I Googled and I can't find any references to this problem. I restarted the Apple TV and it's still behaving the same way. Uh, I looked on Apple's official support documents, and it still says, Apple's official website still says that you can, when you are in a search box, you can press and hold the, the, the microphone icon and dictate into that search box. And I don't want to activate Siri. I want to dictate into that search box for, for reasons like this. Netflix does not participate in Apple's Siri search results, and so you can't find things in Netflix with Siri. 
besides which, if I'm in that app, I don't want to search all the apps or all the global context. I want to search where I'm at. So, so the, uh, the thing where it doesn't do that anymore is super annoying. So I just want to know how I can get this back and what's going on. Yeah, it has always been a little confusing between the search of an app and to go to Siri search. I know that I don't agree with that. I've never found it confusing at all. Yeah, I think you and I would be less confused. It's the family and my extended family because we go over to my parents and watch films on their Apple TV sometimes and my brother will join in. And my younger siblings, they get it. They understand which search field they're in. But then anyone over my age is confused and turned around. They, they, We've told them, hey, you just press that button to dictate a search you know, on the remote. And they misunderstand when they want to do something within the search field for Netflix or within Apple's TV as a whole and see all the results that Siri would pull up instead. So I, I, I do hope they figure this stuff out because it should be more intuitive than it is right now. I almost wished I could even say, like you can with the phone, hey, Siri, um, search this in Safari and do that on the Apple TV. Yeah, very good job, Siri. Thank you. <laughs> um, be able to do that on the Apple TV and get it to say, do this, ahoy, telephone, do this in the YouTube app. You know, search for this in the YouTube app and just eliminate the confusion. Because if I could say that to some of the family that are confused about the interface, I think that that would solve most of the problem. But I guess I just want the functionality back that they took away. They removed functionality that I used all the time. And maybe I was the only one. Maybe that's why they removed it because they've got the usage metrics and I don't. But it's super annoying that I can no longer cert- – like if I'm in the Netflix app or the Hulu app or the Amazon Prime app or the CBS All Access app, I cannot I, – I, in order to search in a search field in that app, I now have to type it out manually instead of dictating text into that search field, which on a TV interface is not great. <laughs> See, As a whole, I mean, the Apple TV is just falling behind. It's long in the tooth for an update. I suppose I don't have any problems with it except for that that they introduced in a recent update. So I, I hope they just I, I would I would be happy to go back a version and just leave it alone. Just That'd let be it awesome. be. Leave me in peace. <laughs> it's it's fine. I don't have any problems with it until now. So hmm. uh, yeah, that's super frustrating. I just wanted to complain about that into the into the void of the podcasting. Put it out there, put it into people's ears, let them hear my wrath. <laughs> and uh maybe 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 it'll because i know phil phil schiller oh no 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 he's an apple fellow now he, he's not busy day to day so uh I, I yeah somebody hopefully at apple will hear my cry and uh that would be great <laughs> <laughs> well we got so many new products in 2020 on a bad year surely they're going to take care of all of our apple tv problems in 2021 hang in there tj well, speaking of bad problems, uh, have you heard of this website called chromeisbad.com? Yeah. Uh, this is the talk of the town. It, it has been quite a little saga. I have a lot to say about this. I hope we can get to our year in review uh, for Apple. Um, <laughs> okay. My in- <sighs> I'll try to keep this short. My initial reaction to this was cool story, bro. But um, I don't. My wife has a computer. I have a computer. I have friends who have computers. Nobody's run into this, um, and so I like. Apparently, though, there are people who've run into this. Um, so 
I did not I, I, I want to say at the outset that I did not make changes based on this particularly. I was not having these problems. Um, however, um, oh, well, let me talk about the problems first. So apparently, and, and I, I've known this for years, and it's not my favorite thing, but whatever. So when you install Chrome, Google uses their own updater on macOS for Chrome that they call Keystone. Um, I don't know whether that's true on Windows or not, but it, even if it is true, it doesn't cause problems the way it apparently does for some people on the Mac. And so Keystone is a is a launch daemon. It's an it's a daemon that runs in the background. Uh, it's a service basically that runs in the background of your of your Mac and will update Chrome in the background. And for the most part. I like that Chrome keeps itself up to date. As a web developer, um, it's called an evergreen browser. It keeps itself up to date. You have no choice. If you're running Chrome, it will be up to date or it will yell at you And if you keep it, if you don't restart it once in a while because it needs an update. So that's great because as new features are added or bugs are squashed, we, we as web developers don't have to worry about that too much. So I like that aspect of it. And I, I suspect that's the reason that Google developed their own updating method, uh, updating application called Keystone. Is to, is to assist them in keeping it up to date. It does have problems. It doesn't go through normal updating methods. It doesn't use the Sparkle framework, for instance, which a, a lot of developers outside the App Store use. It doesn't go through the App Store updating. Uh, and, and of course, because it's proprietary code to Google, it could have bugs in it. No, no question. And I think John Syracuse, so a lot of people, of course, have reacted to this Chrome is bad website, which is detailing what's wrong with Keystone and why it caused problems for this person, uh, you know, taking Windows Server, taking up 80% of the CPU, abnormally high, causing laggy mouse movements and all this stuff. And and so he uninstalled Keystone and voila, the computer is running fine now. Uh, I think John Syracuse did a really great job on ATP. Uh, I'll try to, I'm going to make a note to myself to link the ATP episode in show notes. Uh, but I think John Syracuse did a really great job of saying, look, this is way more complicated than you're making it out to be, which is um, maybe it's Keystone. Maybe it's something that Keystone is calling on an Apple framework, and Apple's, it's Apple's framework that has a bug. Maybe this is uh, something else unrelated. Maybe you have two pieces of software installed that are interacting poorly with each other because this is only affecting a very small subset of people. I'm not one of them, so uh, you know, maybe this is uh, – Maybe this is a thing that's only affecting you in a certain way and not everybody else. Like, we don't know what's going on here. But basically, the instructions here outline how to delete and uninstall Google Chrome and then also go into the various places where uh, Keystone has installed itself and remove it so that it doesn't auto-launch and so that it, it can't do a thing. And um, that fixed issues for him. I, over my vacation time, I was doing some traveling and I had my laptop with me and I've noticed this about this computer before. There's some lag in my, uh, external pointing devices sometimes, uh, not all the time, but sometimes I get like jerky, like I'll start to move the mouse and it won't move. Then all of a sudden it catches up and it's super annoying. And I started to try to find out why it's doing this. It does not ever do it with the internal trackpad, only external pointing devices, whether they be apples or third parties, like the Logitech one that I have now. Um, and so I started, I thought, well, okay, maybe, maybe this is how Chrome is manifesting its bad behavior with me. Maybe this is a thing for me. I don't know. So, um, it did not fix my issues by uninstalling Chrome and Keystone, but I wanted to try it for a while. Uh, and I'm using this computer right now. It's not doing it. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But the, the, this is kind of a side note to say I uninstalled Chrome, got rid of it and installed instead. Well, I already had installed. I switched over to Microsoft Edge, which is based on Chromium, which is the open source rendering engine behind Chrome. Uh, but it doesn't, 
Um, and the same thing is true of Brave, Opera, Vivaldi. These all use Chromium. Uh, I believe you use – you're a Brave user, Joe. Yep. Um, and so that we're all using the Chromium uh, renderer in the background. And so we're going to see basically the same – the web page is going to look the same for all of us because we're using Chromium. The difference being that Microsoft Edge doesn't um, use Keystone. It um, – <laughs> it you it, it goes through other update methods and uh, it still stays up to date it's just not as aggressive about it and doesn't have its own thing running in the background to keep it up to date the other benefit though as i started using edge i noticed because because one thing you'll notice about chrome on laptops is that they go into the battery battery menu uh, of shame for power usage uh, chrome does <laughs> and um it'll say using significant energy and anytime chrome is open chrome will be there using significant energy and so I noticed that occasionally Microsoft Edge will show up in that menu, but not very often. So uh, I decided to stick with Edge. It, it's actually pretty much just like using Chrome. Uh, the only difference is I have to sign into my Microsoft account instead of my Google account to sync my bookmarks and my history and my things between my computers. Uh, and that all happens – it uses all the same Chrome extensions. I can use – my, my favorite extension is Workona, which uh, I don't know if I've ever talked about, but – it basically allows me to save and sync tabs and sessions across all my devices. And like if I'm working on something for work and I have all the tabs open for that project, I can I can just close them all and reopen them tomorrow exactly as they were. Um, and so that's great, and that works just fine on Edge as well. So I'm I'm pretty much switched over to Microsoft Edge. I don't have Google Chrome on any of my devices right now, and I seem to get better battery life, and it's not in the battery menu of shame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So that's interesting to me. The and as a whole, you think that you're you would stay put with Edge if you know Chrome even were to come out with some sort of update where people on the fence said, you know what, it's solved now and everything's fine. Everybody move back to Chrome now. Um, I, I'm fine staying on edge because it's, like mm-hmm. I said, it's the same rendering engine and it, because it's all the, a lot of the same internals under the hood, it uses, you can use all the same extensions. You can even go to the Chrome extension store and install any extension in there, uh, into edge or brave or Vivaldi, but I'm, I chose edge. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't see any reason to move the, I, I would be happy to move back to Chrome. I have nothing against Google the way most people do. Every company on my view has its upsides and downsides. Apple has its upsides and downsides. Google has its upsides uh, and downsides. The same with Microsoft. Uh, I'd be happy to move back to Chrome if they came out with features, uh, that, that wowed me and, and wooed me back over. Specifically, I think, though, that Chrome would have to demonstrate that they can – and I've always known this about Chrome. It has always been an aggravation to me that Chrome is in my battery menu of shame saying where it's – you know, where Apple's saying it's using significant energy. Um, And so I think Chrome would have to fix that before I'd want to come back because I'm happy to get better battery life and still have the Chromium renderer behind Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. I think I would do the same thing. And I don't use a MacBook Pro where I'm thinking about optimization and battery efficiency on a regular basis. But if I did, I'd be thinking along the same line. And I was using Microsoft Edge for most of 2020. Then what uh, helped me switch back to Brave, I don't remember the impetus, but there was something going on in the fall. It may have been support for an extension I use in YouTube that wasn't available yet on Microsoft Edge. And after using Brave for a while, I reached out to the 
believe the developer and said, you know, I'm excited with Big Sur to try out Safari. If you can get this supported for this YouTube extension uh, that you have in Brave and Chrome in Safari, I would really appreciate it. And he got it out. And so when Safari on Big Sur was on my new iMac 5K, I started using that YouTube extension and I haven't looked back. But between, so you're, you're on Safari now. I'm using Safari on a regular basis as well as Brave. It depends on, sometimes I want to be logged into an account with Google and I don't want to constantly be switching my logged in Google account. So Brave is logged into one account and then Safari in the other. Well, you know you can log into multiple Google accounts in one browser, right? Uh, off the top of my head, I remember doing that on a regular basis when I used to use Chrome a few years ago. And I have never bothered to try to figure out what, the way to do that on Brave or Safari. To the best of my knowledge, knowing how obtuse Apple is with multiple users for a single device, I just assumed that Safari didn't no, have well, a solution not, built in. This isn't even up to Apple. This is this is um, this is right in your browser. Like it's your your browser the way it stores sessions, like Google knows how to deal that. So it's, it's all a Google thing. So just go to google.com and up in the upper right, you click your name and you can add another account or sign out of all accounts or what, what have you. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. No, no. I and, use and that on I a regular my, basis. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So it's from that menu that I just don't want to bother switching all the time because mm. I use three accounts on a regular basis for YouTube management stats, uploading new content, editing various metadata, uh, checking mm-hmm. stats. And then there's also Gmail and Google searches. And I remember one time somebody at work was saying, Oh, look at all these very interesting videos that you watch on YouTube that have nothing to do with work. And <laughs> I said, look, all of that was work related, but it doesn't concern you. I'm the video producer in the company and I had a good reason for checking those things out. But (laughs) I realized, yeah, maybe some of that doesn't look right. So I started using my personal account again so that the history and the the keyword searches and stuff would be on that instead. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so my strategy with both Edge and Chrome is I'm signed into my primary personal Google account as the primary account. And then I've added my work account so that I can easily switch between them. But anyway, you do what works for you. That's Mm -hmm. totally fine. I would be happy. I I wanted to give Safari another shot and I was, I, I, I still in my dock and I still use it. But the problem is most of the extensions and primarily the extension that I rely on, like I don't even know how I used to work without it, as I mentioned, is Workona. Um, so, and, and, and Workona says they're bringing that extension to Chrome, uh, to Safari, but like they haven't yet. So I can't, I can't consider it. The other thing that keeps me, and I always have to have a Chromium, uh, browser around because the developer tools, the, the console and developer tools and all these things are so much better in, uh, in the Google Chrome Chromium world. Um, it, Safari's just can't hold a candle to it. So I believe that I've seen it several times when looking over the shoulder of my developer friends, I don't understand why it's interesting too, to me that a lot of the developer community likes to use a MacBook and then they had to find alternatives besides using Safari. So it's all turned around. We all have to custom tailor our jobs. 
Shall we move on to uh, our ostensibly our, our primary topic of of reviewing a kind of Apple's year for 2020? Yes, drum roll please and toot the horns. It is time to get on to the review. I want to say can we focus on primarily primarily the highlights that stuck out to us, those things that were most interesting because there's actually like a ton in 2020 like legal matters and social media matters and privacy concerns. Did you want to get into any of that? Because I feel like it was just enough to talk about what they did for their Apple events, how they changed WWDC, and yeah, what they did to products. Yeah, that latter is what I wanted to focus on, which is really just Apple's products and stuff. I, I There are other interesting things that we could talk about, but I really I feel like they've been covered pretty well on other podcasts, and I don't okay, know good. I have a lot to add. I've, I've said my two cents on this podcast before about various things of those issues, so... Um, yeah, I, I really just wanted to talk about it. And one thing I wanted to note too is, uh, I thought Jason Snell, uh, you might notice I listen to a lot of nerdy tech podcasts because I'm referencing these people like John Syracuse and Jason Snell. I thought Jason Snell made a really interesting point, uh, on, I don't remember which episode of upgrade. I think it was upgrade, but I don't remember which episode it was, but, uh, he talked about how basically it sort of became like, um, Apple was producing the Apple TV show, and I, I don't mean like their TV shows on Apple TV Plus. That, that's kind of confusing. But but like as Apple's year went on, it's just like oh, here's another event. This is another episode in the Apple T, you know, in Apple's TV programming lineup. And th- you know, so this event is about entertaining you with their release of the iPhone, and this event is about entertaining you with the release of their iPad, or, or you know, whatever, whatever it is. And uh, I thought that was pretty pretty interesting observation, and and really is like, yeah, you know what? I I definitely tuned into those episodes and found them in- enjoyable. So, yeah, okay. So, uh, really, the first thing that happened um, in the 2020 year for Apple of note to me was that Apple released new iPads Pro. And these are basically the same iPads that they released, iPads Pro that they released in uh, 2018, um, and they just were minor spec updates. Uh, The new system on a chip, uh, the A12Z, which utilizes all eight cores of their graphics card now instead of uh, seven cores. Uh, and so they were using before a system called binning where um, as they produced the graphics cards, uh, the ones that uh, had seven working cores would pass muster for them. And now they've upped those specs. They feel like the yields are high enough. They can get eight working GPU cores. Uh, and so you've got um, all that stuff goes into the A12Z. Uh, they upped it from four gigs of RAM to six gigs of RAM. I know Apple doesn't like to talk about this stuff, but, you know, we find out these things. Um, strangely for an iPad, uh, LiDAR and dual lens camera system. Who cares about the cameras on the iPads? I certainly don't. I've never never used mine in my iPad Pro beyond the novelty. Um, it does have a new microphone array, which I suppose is interesting, but if I'm using microphones for real, then I'm going to be using my, you know, Rode Podcaster. Um, and th- most importantly about this iPad to me is, and, and really this goes back to 2018 when they introduced this model, is that it gave us a preview of Apple's design language for 2020, um, which is the flat edge design that looks like the iPhone uh, 4 and 5, um, which I really love. Um, and so really, uh, they announced alongside this um, the Magic Keyboard and uh, Trackpad, and that's what made me go ahead and pull the trigger because I realized Apple was serious about the iPad Pro. It is a really nice iPad Pro, and that Magic Keyboard makes a world of difference. The 2018 model was what my older brother got, and he uses it all the time for work and for everything else. 
and he has used his MacBook Pro less and less. And he's just a guy. I want to say he's like a regular guy, a regular business guy. And it's encouraging to see that the iPad Pro has actually met the needs of a professional kind of guy in that situation. But what stood out to me was that the 2018 model was still using the previous generation of their keyboard case or cover or whatever it was called. I think it was a cover at the time. Yeah, and I think it was still keyboard around. cover. Yeah. So I was never a fan of that cover design uh, being a trapezoid tent. And yeah, the idea of having to perch it on your lap would be very impractical. So I would have to keep it to the desk and that would be the only practical way to use their keyboard. So in previous generations, when I've got a new iPad, I was using some other third party keyboard that was a little easier to use more versatilely. And then this comes along in 2020 and I knew that this was the right iPad Pro for me and that Magic Keyboard case just made all the difference. And I I don't want to have a MacBook as well as an iPad Pro for personal use. I have a MacBook Pro at my disposal because it's actually my wife's and she uses it mostly. It's really her computer. But we do share this MacBook Pro on occasion for some audio production. And I just really don't need a MacBook for personal use. So I, I prefer the iPad. I have since, since first generation. I've had the iPad around all the time. But this keyboard makes a huge difference in 2020. Yeah, it does for sure. There, there's still I do find some frustrations in iPad OS with the keyboard and the way that that bar is always floating at the bottom. And I feel like there's a better way they can manage that. And you know, the, the, it just annoys me because it's it's constantly in the way it covers up the bottom of the window that you're typing in. Oftentimes, yeah, you know, it's a little little, bu- a little bit buggy. Yeah, a little bit buggy. I've tried. There is a way that you can get it to mostly turn off, and you can turn off auto suggestions and all that stuff. But then there are some things that you can't access specifically. Um, one password is hard to access when you do that. And, oh. uh, so yeah, yeah. I, I had to turn it back on. Oh, don't even get me started on the ability to, to, to search for and find emoji. That's so frustrating. Um, th- there's, there's things that annoy me, but overall, like when I want a device, and if I'm not, if I'm not writing code, most of the time I'm going to go for my iPad. The, 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 the bottom line for me is that the iPad Pro, the, these are all signals that Apple is serious about making the iPad Pro something good or the iPad something good. And for me, the iPad Pro is the right device because it is I, – I do like the size of the larger iPad Pro, which is what I have – I I constantly, you know, in the evening am using it and watching TV on it or, you know, using it to communicate or to manage bills or finances or you know, just various things. It's it's a device that uh, – I even have some work stuff on it. So, like, if I need to go somewhere and I'm going to be gone most of the day and I don't want to take my MacBook Pro with me because I just want to take something, you know, grab something small – uh, you know, it, it, I can't SSH into servers and see what's going on and why something's down, a website's down or something like that. So it does have some, some tools on there that, that if I'm not doing actual serious code writing, I can just have the iPad with me. And I take it to, uh, to meetings like, um, you know, if I'm meeting with, uh, some folks at church, I need to take notes. Like I've got bear and I take notes, uh, bear is a notes taking app or a notes app. So yeah, I really, really love the iPad pro. What I've noticed over 2020 is that depending on the season, like if I'm not doing yard work, then there's no guarantee that I'm going to use my iPhone on a daily basis. I will definitely be using my Mac and my iPad. 
but the iPhone goes various days without being used. So yeah, very impressed with the iPad Pro. I'm glad it works so well. It is my favorite user-friendly device. I like it with and without the keyboard, but I, I wouldn't want to go without the keyboard anymore. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I one only one thing I'll say about this, and I, I don't know that there's a way around it, just because it's so top heavy with the iPad sitting up on the top. But if you're on a flat surface, totally fine. Uh, but if you're like on your bed and you set it on your bed, but the bed's a little bit soft, it's gonna you know, or, or, or on your lap even if you if you get the wrong angle, it has a tendency to tip backwards, and that's not great. But uh, you know, I mostly live with it. It's fine. Yeah, it, that's a. Uh, significantly frustrating thing on a regular basis, but it's also understandable. Sure. I don't know how they would fix it. So the other thing that happened alongside this in March was they announced, of course, that that uh, Magic uh, Keyboard and Trackpad, uh, the key- Magic Keyboard cover, whatever they call it. But alongside that, they announced and then subsequently released iPad OS 13.4, which gave us finally, after so many years, full tracks, full trackpad support. And of course, I love the touchscreen, Joe. It is, and in fact, often, you know, John, I, I disagree so much with John Gruber, who says that uh, when he's in keyboard mode, he, he doesn't ever want to see touch on the Mac because Mac is a keyboard and mouse device. And he also further says when he has the keyboard and mouse on the iPad, he never reaches up and touches the screen. I, I am just the opposite. Um, I only use the trackpad in limited circumstances where it makes complete sense. When I'm on the iPad, I reach up and touch it all the time. Like that's how I use it. Um, and I, I will of course type on the keyboard cause that makes sense. It's, but, but for some reason when I'm using iPad mode, I, it's no big deal for me to reach up and, and just manipulate things on the screen. And, but I also have the trackpad and it's great and I love both. Um, so this was, uh, this was kind of a surprise to me that they released this full, full trackpad support in 13.4 and didn't wait for iOS 14. I think that surprised all of us. And, uh, I, I love it. It's, it's great. And I, I think it's very well done for, you know, cause basically, you know, the one way that they could have done it is we've had cursor support on Macs for years and years and years and years, and they could have just brought that directly over. Okay, well, when you have a mouse attached, you get a pointer and you click and touch things, you know, you click on things and you drag things around and, and you know, that's how it works. But Yeah, you'd expect what, the same arrow. Right, but that's not what they did. Um, they, they Because iPad is a touch-first device, uh, they basically adapted the idea of a cursor to a touch-based device, and it works super, super well. You know, the thing about that trackpad support, though, is that <laughs> I got to hand it to uh, the the stability of it. It's very consistent, and it seems like everybody who uses it is really happy with it. But TJ, I got to admit, I'm not a huge fan of the reliability of the trackpad support. Um, really? I'm even thinking about the trackpad on my keyboard case that every morning I start my day using my iPad to have my personal devotions reading time and prep and organize for the day's work and maybe catch a YouTube video while I'm still waking up and drinking my coffee. And frequently I'll pop into notes. I'll pop into the Things 3 by Culture Code to write down things that I need to do during the day. And when I'm clicking on targets for the YouTube app and I'm trying to uh, just regular links and buttons and fields, there's plenty of times when using the trackpad and I click something that nothing happens. And it varies on the application. 
it happens more so on third-party apps, but I've seen it in uh, the the apps like Apple Music as well. And I can click a thing and nothing happens. And then I I kind of like, I've toyed with it to see what is happening. And funny things happen. For example, I, it will recognize that I am clicking the thing I'm clicking because I can click and begin to drag it. And I can visibly see the thing that I clicked is dragging. But then it's like, well, if I can drag you, then why can't I get you to respond as a link and just open up and take me to the content that the link represents? And I go, click, nothing happens. Click, 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 click. Okay, there it worked. And it's like, what's happening where even a double click is not the trick. It is like a click until it works thing. And it just depends on the app. It depends on the moment. I see it a lot in those applications I use most in the morning because that's the one time in a regular basis I'm using the trackpad, the keyboard at the same time. And that would typically be apps, like I said, uh, things. um, Maybe um, I'm starting to use uh, the notes app called craft uh but i previously have had the same problem with bear um and so yeah well, i mean i don't know what to say it works except for when it doesn't that's really odd i, I cannot recall that ever having happened to me curious um, okay curious. see i just thought everybody was hitting this problem i wonder if you need to well you, I, I would say hardware except you see it seems you registering the clicks as you say so mm-hmm. maybe restoring your software i don't know yeah. That's very odd. I suppose it could be something. What what, what iPad do you have? I have the 11 inch instead uh, wh- of the which year? larger. Which year? The 2020. 2020. Okay. Hmm. I don't know, man. That's yeah. very bizarre. It's me. I don't know. Well, I'd like to move on and talk about Apple launching an affordable iPhone. Um, this is the iPhone SE, the successor to the iPhone SE, because Apple's terrible at naming things. Um, <laughs> it is. Uh, it is not an iPhone SE 2 or anything like that. It's just the new iPhone SE. Um, so you had, of course, the initial iPhone SE, which was the um, iPhone 5S, I believe, that was basically rebranded to the, uh, the SE, essentially. I mean, it had some updated internals, but the look and feel of it was the um, was the 5S. And I just that's been the case for a long time. And then this year, they relaunched the iPhone SE as a re- – basically, they rebranded the look and feel of the 678 line. Uh, to be the iPhone SE, and it is. It starts at three ninety nine. It's the new affordable uh, phone, and and it um, has the A thirteen. So it's not a slouch. It's not the most up to date processor, but it's fine. And I think most importantly for a lot of people, I I know people who usually they're of an older demographic, and they do not like the buttonless iPhones. Um, and even like I, I'm good friends with a, a guy. He's only a little bit older than me, and he he has an iPhone ten. Uh, or 11, one of those two, but he hates it. He even still, he's had it for months and he's like, I just hate this thing. Like I hate, I want, I want my button back. I want my button back. And <laughs> I just don't understand that. I don't get it. I really like the buttonless iPhones, but you know, there are people out there. So if this is for that segment, like I, if the iPhone SE had come out before he bought his new iPhone, I think he would have been very happy to just get an SE. Um, and it's, and it's affordable, you know? Yeah, it's a curious thing. I am glad that they're still making this sort of product for a lot of people that are interested in that button. And I think that there's always going to be a demand for a cheaper iPhone in the market. So I could see, TJ, where do you think they're going to go with this in three or four years? Are they going to... I was about to ask you that. mm -hmm, Because it's not going to be as easy as 
re-updating the internals for an iPhone 10 and then calling it the new generation iPhone SE in the year 2024 and making all of these customers happy because that's going to be when they don't get the button on screen or on the device. So I, I well, wonder... Yeah, I mean, boy, I don't know. I mean, one one road that Apple could take, and I, I this doesn't feel very Apple-like, but also I think even having an iPhone SE is not very Apple-like in some ways. So um, I, I think one road they could take is just to continue updating the internals of the iPhone 6 style. Um, and oh, so you yeah. always you always have that phone around. I mean, because that's essentially what they did here is they put – it's not the iPhone 8 internals. It is – somewhere in between the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10, right? It's it's somewhere in that range. Um so that you could just keep updating the internals and just call, you know, it's it's got a single camera. Um it's got it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't take the edge to edge manufacturing, you know, it, it takes a little bit more work to and and a little bit more money to make a phone that is edge to edge screen that way and to to put that notch in the top and all that stuff and so this doesn't have any of those expenses and so you can manufacture it more cheaply. And perhaps Apple just keeps doing that, and and it does two things for them. It gives them a lower uh, barrier to entry for people to continue buying the phone. And we know that they they hit a ceiling re- a couple of years ago, and they sort of topped out on how many people are going to buy the iPhone. And they're trying to continue to find ways to break that ceiling. And then the other thing it does is it just continues to appeal to the people who who don't want the newfangled stuff, whatever that is. And then these 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 phones without any home buttons on them, those are newfangled, and you know I don't like it. I want the yeah. I want my button, you know. And it, you know I've always I I was an advocate. I didn't like losing the home button initially. I was an advocate in the early days of having that escape valve of like it's a physical button. Of course, it became not a physical button with the seven or eight. I don't remember, <laughs> but I think it was a seven where it it simulates a click, but it doesn't actually move. But th- that aside. Yeah. Like it's this it's hardware button that you can push that always takes you back home, and I was a big fan of that in the early days. But yeah, I've, I'm really sold now. I've, I've as as you've uh, mentioned, I've I've grown pretty weary of the six style, and I'm very happy with the uh, essentially the the style of the iPhone 10. Even though I've got the flat edges now with the 12, but very happy with that personally. Yeah, it's been very good for a lot of people. I know a lot of people who prefer the rounded edges of the six style. So if you're one of those people as well, consider if you're, you know, I don't even know. I mean, I'd still recommend, would you still recommend the iPhone 11 over the iPhone SE for the quality of the product? Yeah, it would depend on the what you want. But if you're still interested in the rounded edges, because you prefer how that feels, you might want to start looking at upgrading to the iPhone 11 while you still have lots of options. Maybe the color would matter to you before they don't have all the colors available and at a good price and so on. Just because I, I could see someone today getting an iPhone 11 and being very happy with it for several, several more years if they're yeah. happy to have those rounded edges. Yeah, and to me, it's not so much about the rounded edges, although I suppose if somebody doesn't like the flat sides, you've got the iPhone 11 and you've got the iPhone SE, and those are your options. But I mean, I also know uh, before the iPhone 12 was announced, I have a friend who, like me, was not a fan of bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger phones. And so when the iPhone SE came out, he's like, yes, and he jumped on it right away. I don't know if he regrets that or not. I haven't really talked to him about it because they did come out with the iPhone 12 mini. But, um, you know, I think knowing this guy, he's probably happy just to have a, a lower cost phone that is also a smaller size that that is a size that he wants. So lots of angles to consider. Uh, so, yeah, it, it totally depends. If you are price conscious uh, and you really don't care 
about you know your foreign phone's form factor so much, then the iPhone SE is for you. If you do care about the iPhone's the phone's form factor and your price conscious and the, your pre- preference on that form factor is to have a home button and the chin and the forehead, then the iPhone SE is for you. If you care more about the flat edges like I do and the smaller phone and you want yeah. the newest and greatest, then you're going to be in iPhone 12 territory. So all these things, there's all sorts of calculations and individual needs that go into to those decisions. Yep, definitely. So moving on to June, the next big highlight of the year of 2020 was Apple holding their virtual WWDC. TJ, this was historical to... I think, and shook the Apple community of the the reviewers, the podcasters, the writers. Everybody was shaken up because they are used to going to the event as well as those yeah. developers. I would and, say shaken up in a mm-hmm. good way, though. I, I mean, I think it went really well for Apple. I know that everybody was very uh, torn up inside and just kind of confused about what it would be like until the moment it happened. Yeah. And Apple actually did everything. I don't want to say they blew it out of the water because one thing's for sure. Everybody missed seeing each other and being there in Cupertino for the camaraderie, for the great discussion, for the good times, the memories and making great connections. But the, the impressive part was that the event went on. And there was a lot of progress, and Apple's keynote was fabulous. Their online resources, I heard no complaints from developer communities saying that they were unable to get to the things that they wanted to do by way of WWDC. So it seems like it was a great success. And I also hear nobody complaining about the possibility of 2021s being virtual as well. And I, I, and, I, and I think at this point, you know, politics of it aside, whether you agree or don't agree, I think I don't think there's any question that WWDC 2021 is going to be online only. I just I just don't think that's a question at this point. I just think that the way the world is responding to everything and the way things are moving so slowly, I, maybe maybe 2022 will be different. And I hope it will. But 2021 certainly going to be online. And I, and I don't think that's a bad thing, you, you know, in terms of Apple. Um because uh, I because I do think this this went really well. I, there were some things that I missed, and, and I'm somebody who's always participated from afar and only in the keynote. Right, I'm interested in the keynote, and then I'll. What, but but the ancillary things that come out of of WDC WWDC they didn't happen this year in the same way. But we did get some of them. Like you did have Craig Federighi joining John Gruber virtually for the podcast. I think it was Craig Federighi, wasn't it? That joined John Gruber on his podcast. Yeah. And then you had a couple other uh, interviews that happened all virtually. Normally those, there's an energy that we missed from those live events, even that I can see from afar, whether I'm looking at it on, on video or listening to it in my ears on a podcast. And I missed that definitely. And, 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 you know, you you have your the strange thing about listening to podcasts is you're it's a one way pal relationship, right? Like you feel like you're pals with this person who has no idea who you are. Yeah. And I, I did sort of miss the camaraderie of of Jason Snell and Mike Hurley and and Stephen Hackett and Federico Vitici all being on the stage all together at Dub Dub. Um, so I missed that. But but what we did get was a really well crafted WWDC keynote. Um, and I, I just I thought that Apple pulled a rabbit out of their hat, quite <laughs> honestly, because it the keynote itself actually felt like this was a better format and medium for it. And I did not expect that at all. Um, it was because I was like, how is Apple going to do this? They've got a couple of months to pull together a keynote in a different format in a different way without an audience. And what are they going to, are they just going to have Tim up on the stage and, and it's going to be weird if they don't have an audience and, and all this stuff. And, and what they did instead was they crafted a really well-polished produced 
TV show of their yes. of their keynote, and it it was phenomenal. And I thought they added a lot of stuff that I have been missing in Apple's communication and design language. A lot of whimsy that that didn't that, that they we haven't seen from Apple in a while. Like the transitions between between the segments of the of the TV show of of their produced thing were really fun. And and you know they they would uh, do some fun things like like zoom past somebody in in a, a you know in a time time lapse kind of th- way and and it would just be really it would just be really fun and they pull out of one area of the campus and whoosh zoom over to the other side and so of course these are these are secondary things but they're a lot of fun i thought the the presentation itself was super engaging and they announced a lot of cool stuff um if i can just name them off real quick um yeah. they they of course the big the big one in my opinion was the transition they announced the transition of uh the, the mac from uh intel to apple silicon um, and that that was a huge announcement. I think we were all expecting it, and yet at the same time, it was super exciting. Um, and a little a little bit of trepidation at the time. I think most of that's allayed for me now. Um, but uh, the trepidation being, is this really the right thing? What's going to happen on my software? Is it actually going to be faster, or just in these certain applications? Like, and and of course, we've seen the results of that, as we'll talk about in a minute, and uh, kind of blew 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 us away. Um, but yeah, the transition to Apple Silicon was announced. They announced uh, iOS and iPadOS 14 and blew us away with a lot of the features they talked about there. Um, unfortunately, some of the features that I was most excited about didn't make it to iPadOS 14, just iOS 14, which I'm still a little bit bummed about. Uh, they announced Big Sur uh, for macOS. Uh, they announced WatchOS 7 and tvOS 14. That must be the update that I was complaining about earlier. That's the only thing I can figure. Um, and uh, they amount software updates for the AirPods, uh, which gives you stuff like spatial, uh, sound, surround sound stuff. Do you have any other thoughts on WWDC, Joe? It was shockingly entertaining to see Apple's yes. first, uh, live streaming, you know, <laughs> presentation. And then just the, the social media aspect around it, the following videos that they introduced for every day, like today, this is what's going to go on announced by, the voiceover of Serenity Caldwell. And it was great to hear her. Like we've heard her in the past on former podcasts and yeah. So Apple made it very, very good for a a precarious situation and restored any confidence I had that they can knock it out of the park, even with both hands tied behind their back. And that was really what set apart 2020. The rest of the year was that we began to look forward to their Apple videos to come for product announcements the rest of the year and see that they could take basically the production qualities that they introduced with moving around the Apple headquarters campus and do it in some more unique ways and show different faces, introducing different products from different departments the software as well as the hardware and talk about more and see different faces that maybe don't get the same kind of screen time in an event when Apple's, you know, I think that they were probably the same people that would have been presenting these things if these were live events. But I think that the end result is different because for example, they could go into the lab with one of the engineers and let him talk in his work environment and I think that just set the tone differently for these professionals in their in their wheelhouse in their workplace that we got to see them and when they were talking about what they did to build the screen technology or talk about the 
the things that even, for example, there was one fabulous transition where they wanted to stress this is like really behind locked doors. This is well hidden and tucked away in the Apple corporate world. And so they had a transition as they were going from one person presenting on like the main ground level with light coming into the room from the outdoors. Yeah. And then they the camera moves down and it flies through like 10 floors underground to reveal the next guy to continue on the presentation. They just were able to do some more entertaining things than they had previously done before. And I know other technology companies tried to follow in similar steps and do live events, live streamed events, I mean, instead of physical events. And to my knowledge, Apple's were the best, which was absolutely not a surprise really, but very fun to see. All right, moving on, um, the September 15th event. So Apple basically went away for three months, and we really didn't hear much from them until they were ready to do their September 15th event, which they called Time Flies, um, which it really didn't. <laughs> but, but you know, <laughs> I guess yeah. they think it did. Uh, and at this <laughs> event, they, they it was basically the same thing that we saw at WWDC, where it was a very produced, very well-executed thing and very enjoyable. And um, they uh, they announced the Apple Watch Series 6, and as we discussed, I have one of those on my wrist right now. Uh, they announced the Apple Watch SE, which is a more affordable watch for those who don't want all the features of the Series 6 and want to pay less. They announced the iPad Air, which is probably the most uh, interesting thing uh, to come out of this uh, event. Although, I suppose Apple Fitness Plus is pretty interesting. Uh, but a very interesting thing um, because it looks a lot like the iPad Pro. Uh, the difference really is it has no face ID. It has touch ID and the sleep-wake button instead. It has a more powerful system-on-a-chip processor than the iPad Pros, uh, but it has less camera stuff and no LiDAR, and it also works with the 11-inch Magic Keyboard. So now one wonders, like, what's the difference and why would you get the iPad Pro versus the iPad Air, and I feel like they are muddying the waters there a bit. But it is an interesting product, and I don't know what that means for the iPad Pro. I think they're really going to have to do some work to differentiate the iPad Pro in the future. Yeah, do you think that they will keep around two sizes for iPad Pro? Because I know a lot of people that are speculating that they won't. It would. I think that the thing they could do to keep it differentiated is to eliminate the 11-inch iPad Pro, make this the 11-inch offering and then make the ipad pro the 12 inch offering and or the 12.9 and um that would be a way to go i think they could also do stuff like add more usb ports to the ipad pro that would be a nice thing to do for a quote pro computer um you know there's there's many things i think they could do but right now the the product is a little muddy so we'll, we'll see what they do there they um, also updated the iPad base model, which still has that chin and forehead issue. And uh, I don't know. I guess that's I guess that's their basically their iPad SE. Only they're just calling it the iPad. Um, I, it's not an iPad I'm interested in having at this point. But you know, if a lot of people, more power to you. Yeah. Um, they announced the Apple One subscription pricing, which I am subscribed to now because um, I am basically spending the sa- uh, roughly the same amount of money as I was before, but ostensibly getting more features and. Uh, because I have Apple One family plan, my entire family, uh, now there are three devices, no, four, there's four devices on our family plan and they can share my storage space and that's really nice. There was some confusion about that setup, um, but I finally figured that out and how to get everybody switched over to that, so that's cool. Um, I'm using it then, as well. I highly recommend yeah. it. Yeah, no, it's it's good. I, I'm, I'm happy. There, there's, there's some weird quirky stuff about how to manage it that I'm just 
Apple still has a lot to figure out there in terms of internet and services. They've always been bad at that sort of thing. Uh, then they announced Apple Fitness Plus. Um, that's out now. I haven't tried it yet. I have friends who have. Uh, they like it. Um, we'll see if I – I don't know. Uh, and then the most uh, controversial thing they announced at this event, September 15th event, uh, much to everyone's chagrin, is the next day availability of iOS and iPadOS 14 with no gold master uh, <laughs> before that. And uh, that really – that was really a dumb move on their part I think. <laughs> it's very very strange. Something so I, I would like to know the story there. Something something went strange there. It has been nice as a just an enthusiast to get something that came a little bit early, but yeah, I feel like it was not doing any favors for the developer community. Oh, it was off it was an awful thing to do to the developer community, but they, they did it and that's what it is. Yeah. Apple doesn't always explain themselves, and I don't think this was one of the times that they did, but no, they, they didn't. corrected they ne- they course the next time. That's true, or, or at least just didn't do that the next time. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. you have anything else to say about this event? Only that they continued to impress me with the production value. Just really, yes. really happy with how they delivered. And uh, I'm I would not say interested. Th- I'm not in the market for the iPad Air, but my wife is. She's very yeah. interested yep. in the iPad Air. Yep. It looks really good. It's a very good iPad. I would recommend it to anyone who was in the market for one now. And also was very happy by the refresh of the the Apple Watch. I like the better Apple Watch SE that they have now versus getting something like the Apple Watch 3. I d- didn't like the period of time where we had two different Apple Watch screens and various limitations of the proportions and what you could do with complications on the apple watch 3 i didn't want to recommend the cheaper one to anyone as long as that was around Mm -hmm. now i could see even someone who like me i have an apple watch a series 4 and earlier this year i was helping some friends from church and we were doing some manual labor and i scratched up the the glass face, a uh, crystal face. I'm not sure if it's glass or, uh, you know, some other kind of material, but it, it got some pretty deep uh, scratches. And Which watch is this? This is the Apple Watch Series 4. Okay. So it's not the end of the world. Thankfully, it didn't shatter the glass or anything like that, but it's some deep scratches. So if I were, you know... Going to just you know throw some money at the problem to get a watch that looks immaculate again. I would seriously consider getting the Apple Watch SE because I don't think there's a ton of features about the the Series Six that have coaxed me in that direction. Because the SE is kind of on par with the four slash some qualities of the five. So the Apple Watch is in a really good space right now. I mean, you got a good option and you got a good uh, feature set. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm very happy with my Apple watch and that's the thing that I use that came out of this event. The, um, iPad air is somewhat interesting to me and I don't know what I would have done if it had been out when I got my iPad pro at that time, but I do like the 12.9 inch over the 11 inch. So I think I would have stuck with the iPad pro, but it's interesting if they come out with a 12.9 inch iPad air, that would be a much more tempting product because it has everything that, that I care about. The only thing that I would wish for, I think, is an iPad that had both Touch ID and Face ID because I have gotten pretty used to whatever I do, I do it, and all of a sudden it just immediately sees my face and goes, oh, yep, you're good, and I don't have to touch anything or do anything. So that's interesting, but I don't know. It's fine, and I think it's a good iPad. 
I, I'm kind of torn about it because I like the body design language and style, uh, the colors for the iPad Pro. I I would use iPad Air happily if it was the only one I could get my hands on, but I don't really want the lunch tray iPad Pro. I like the form factor of the 11 much more. It For me, I do use it to read books from time to time. Like I said, I use it every morning to get through some personal devotion reading time. So I like the size of the 11 and usually take it off of the keyboard. So I don't know. I guess I'd be more inclined to move course to the iPad Air if I had to pick between go a little smaller with some different brighter color or go bigger to get you know space gray or something. And I, I would rather not go bigger because I want to hold it in hand. I like a book feel. Anyway, so yes, then moving beyond, we had October and this was the Apple high speed. <laughs> high Hi, speed. speed. Yes. Hi, 5G. Fi- Tell me about 5G, TJ. That, that's really all it was about. Apple announced the world. Yeah. Verizon announced 5G and, and so 5G sponsored the high speed 5G event because 5G is a cool thing that, that on these 5G phones that might have 5G. Um, <laughs> I, I think it may have rebel. cured the world of 4G. <laughs> And it's also really good if you sprinkle some on your your burrito. It's really tasty. 5G fixes everything. 5G is the end-all, be-all. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, so they announced the iPhones 12 and the HomePod Mini. So this was a smaller event uh um than the the previous event was um but but this just lent itself to a feeling of oh yeah here's another episode of the apple tv announcements tv show and it was uh <laughs> it was a lot of fun and, and of course i got my my beloved iphone 12 mini out of this event so very happy um and uh yeah i i even though it was a smaller event i was very happy with this event i thought it was again very well done no complaints yeah, and when you say smaller, it was more focused on the products at hand, and they'd already said so much in their other pre- uh, presentations. It felt like they were running out of things to say, and timing may have become an issue where there was perhaps a timeline where they would have introduced things like the iPhone 12, the HomePod Mini, and the the new MacBook uh, models at the same time, but then they were not quite ready for that. And maybe if they tried to cram all of that video material into one event, they felt like the video itself would have just been too long. So yeah, boy, that would have been a big and event. Them up. And I think yeah. it did better for marketing as a whole. And it is usually the tech reviewers that talk about how October is a big month. And yeah, well, I mean, when you got that hot new 5G, you got you to make that the star of the 5G show because Verizon has 5G. Yeah, and they also announced the iPhone 12, but nobody cares about that. They they were really just happy to buy the thousand dollar five G device, and yes. then if you got the iPhone 12, then good for you too. But it was really that five G device that everybody wanted. But all, right, well, uh, all five- kidding aside, uh, you got your iPhone 12 Mini. But what month was it that you got your Mini? That was in November. Right, it was November. It, I think it was early November. I'd have to look, see if I can find that while you're, you can vamp for a second. You were ordering the day of the pre-orders and I remember being torn in two the day that they had talked about the iPhone 12s, the 12 minis and the iPad, the 12 pros. 
and the 12 Pro Max, all, all those variable sizes. It was fun to see that Apple had given us a smaller phone again as an offer, an option. And for more than a month, it was just terribly frustrating to debate whether to get the smaller phone because I prefer the form factor or to get the regular phone because at least I knew what I was getting into by using the 11 for a year. I knew that the 12 Pro and the regular 12 were practically the same size. I could handle that. But then the 12 Pro Max had the much better exciting camera system and a better battery life. So who wouldn't want that? Except <laughs> that the Max is ridiculously large. It's worse than wearing an, a, the AirPods Max on your head. You know, it's, it's just going to well, fall to the floor. I got to tell you, Joe, my iPhone 12 mini takes fantastic pictures. I took several low light pictures the other day when it snowed, but it was dark out. And I wanted to get some really cool pictures of the new snowfall where I was at. It was really cool. Uh, great pictures. Great turnout. Very happy with my phone. Uh, it, my phone arrived on November the 13th. I don't remember what day pre-orders were, but it was after all the other pre-orders. Uh, so um, anyway, arrived November 13th. I got in, got up in the morning in time to get that order in and got in the first wave. Very good. And you're very happy with it to this day. I, I'm very oh, yeah. glad, happy for you. I think that if I could go back and do the same thing all over again, I'd probably wind up getting the 12 Pro just because... I have handled the Mini, and I prefer its size far and away, but I still want that telephoto lens, and nah. I'm not, I, I really don't have a strong opinion about the size of a 12, the regular size, grant you, and that 12 Pro size. It, 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 I didn't get this phone for its size, that's for sure, but I got it because I prefer the camera system just enough. And yeah. it's, you know, By the way, it's, still caseless, still love it? I put a case on it and I'm so mm. glad I have TJ. Mm. I'm mm. so glad that I did because I mm. had one major tumble over the holiday. And if I didn't have that case was on this, it, I swear I would have scuffed up that bright glossy finish. Was this when you were drunk and hung over and you dropped it? Uh, well, the reindeer, man, you know, they don't care. <laughs> the reindeer what they trampled on. it. That's what it was. And the case saved it. Yeah. And I, I just popped it out of the case. I got a case from my wife for Christmas and it's the moment case, which I'll talk about another time. It's really good because I'm using the phone a little bit more like a camera and the moment case is good. If you want to attach external lenses and mount it to like a tripod, things like that. Yeah. And it has a nice, uh, like Oak paneling on the backside of the the case so it makes my yeah. phone look like it popped out of the 1970s mm -hmm. but the uh the phone is beautiful without the case so i'm just glad i did have it that one time rudolph was cruel okay so you got a home pod mini right that also came out of the high the high speed event yeah, I'm really happy that Apple talked about it at that time. And it was really entertaining the way that they did by zooming mm. down into a little miniature display to show a, a, like an apartment and where they supposedly had a HomePod. So, so the fun thing about the HomePod Mini was that it is an incredible price for what you're getting out of a smart speaker. So I realized that I had been on the fence between do I stay with the Sonos smart speaker system for a long time or do I go with the home pods and what i was really torn about was mainly the pricing because with the sonos they're expensive smart speakers but you can still shave off hundreds of dollars rather than getting into apple smart speaker system and with apples you only had one option you could only get the 300 dollars model 
or go home. So the, but the bigger, the, the downside to staying with Sonos was that it was so irritating to use their, their app. It was constantly having synchronization problems with the speakers around the house. So I picked up three home pods in pretty quick order while you were ordering your home iPhone 12 mini. I was ordering my first two home pod minis and I put one in the bedroom and one in the kitchen. And I realized really quickly that I was going to make the switch because the, it's not flawless. Uh, I don't want to say that, but I want to say that if you have a really good internet connection, then the home pod mini probably would be a flawless experience. Now, now a few times over the holidays, we had problems where we couldn't use the minis until we restarted our home internet. And I think that it might be the time for me to look into, uh, AT&T fiber again, TJ, like we talked about in a previous episode. Not a fan of AT&T, but I'm a fan of good internet. And if that's how you can get good internet, then go right ahead. Yeah. Um, I don't have many other great options, but anyway, the HomePod MIDI, love it. I've got three of them now and I'm looking to get two more here pretty soon. Yeah. I just want to taunt you with my really good charter internet. I'm, uh, I'm clocking in at 416 megabits per second download. Uh, upload is right around 20 megabits per second. (laughs) So just taunting you. Uh, yeah. Shall we move on to the November 10th event? Yeah, there's just one more thing you wanted to talk about the end of the year. You wanted to just talk about that. Joe, one more thing. What possibly could they have announced for one more thing on November 10th? Well, that was the long-awaited, long-expected, super exciting M1 Max. Uh, We didn't know they were going to be called M1s, but that's what they were called is uh, they announced the entire M1 system on a chip for the Mac product line. And they did that first, and they announced the specific products that they would be putting the M1 into. The uh, M1, I think, is a huge leap forward. We were all, as I mentioned earlier, I was a little trepidatious about this, but also excited because um, they, uh, boy, how how would you say, the the Mac, I I was kind of torn, especially because sometimes it feels like these days Apple doesn't treat the Mac very well, but we want them to pay attention to it, but we only want them to pay attention to it if they're going to do it right. (laughs) And they haven't always done that in recent years, Uh, but they've been turning their attention slowly back to the Mac, and I think they really nailed it with the M1. There's still some things to be worked out on the software side. As far as I know, Docker, which I rely on for my development tools, is not running yet uh, because it's a very deep emulation layer of software, so it's not running right yet on the M1, but I'm sure that's coming very soon. I'm sure that'll all get figured out. And all accounts are that these are super fast computers there's a super long battery life that run extremely uh, cool. And I, I don't mean cool as in cool, man. I mean cool as in <laughs> cold. They don't get hot, and that is great. Uh, I ha- So they also announced that the MacBook Air, uh, a version of the Mac Mini and the MacBook Pro 13-inch would be running the M1. Pretty sure that my wife's next computer later this year is going to be an M1 MacBook Air, and that's going to be exciting to have one in the family. They also announced a release date for Big Sur, and it wasn't the next day. That was great, and I am now running Big Sur on all my devices, and it's been I, – I would say it's the most stable release of any uh, Mac OS release in recent memory, um, maybe even ever. I think I, I think I, when I messaged you, I said, I think this may be the most stable major Mac OS release that I've ever run. Yep. Um, and that I, I've just been shocked because Catalina was a disaster to upgrade to. Even though I waited a few months, it was still pretty bad, and um, – yeah, and, and 
I yeah, I, I just boy, I'm trying to remember. I think it was uh, leopard. It was either leopard or snow leopard that that really had some initial launch problems. Um, and it was just it's just a tradition that Apple's had that the point oh you usually want to avoid. And I did. I waited until the point one, but um, yeah. Um, it was a very, very solid uh, upgrade and very excited about the Mac, uh, the M1 system on a chip and, and the Apple Silicon and the direction all that's going. Yeah, as I remember it, uh, Big Sur was re- released in November as well, right? Was it around I think no- that's November right. 12th? Yeah, let okay. me see if I can find that. Because it's one of those dates that throws everybody off because who's going to get on that bandwagon and install on the first release day? And people like you are sane enough to wait a couple of weeks if not November, more. November 12th, 2020. Mm-hmm. I, I was pretty quick to the draw and I have no serious complaints. It has been very reliable for me. And one of the most impressive things about it is whether I'm using the native apps or third-party stuff. And notoriously, it seems like it, it, uh, Adobe software has always felt like it was just trying to grate on my nerves. And I would have... If if I, I TJ, I don't even know if I'd still be using Adobe products today if it wasn't for how reliable it is on my iMac 5K with the Big Sur because I remember talking about this earlier this year with my boss and he had already approved the Final 10, uh, uh, Final Pro 10, yeah, Final Pro 10 purchase and I was going to make the switch from Adobe Premiere Pro. Then after using it on this 5K, Mac and Big Sur combined, everything has been so reliable that it just works. And hmm. I've been very pleased. Now, now the well, thing, yeah, you want to talk more about the uh, M1? Well, I, I got to say. Actually, I, while we're here, I want to talk about Adobe. Um, and okay. uh, just real quick, hopefully this will be real quick because we're already running over time. But I, um, I've i been very frustrated with Adobe software over the last few years. Um, and it's just getting worse and worse. Um, and even though I use Premiere Pro or have used Premiere Pro for the one project I do a year of video editing um and I still miss Final Cut 7 when I was a professional filmmaker. That's what I used, the Final Cut Classic, Final Cut 4, 5, 6, 7. Um, and I don't like Final Cut 10 at all. It's a disaster. Um, so uh, I've been using Premiere Pro. It's the most like Final Cut. But even so, I'm just frustrated. And um, their whole activation system and all these things, like don't I have uh, my personal laptop, my work laptop, and my desktop, and Adobe's like, nope, can't run it on all those devices. You must be a pirate. So anyway, just frustrated with the whole thing. I have switched to Affinity Photo and Affinity Publisher for my photo editing and my layout, my document layout needs. And I have switched to, I well, I haven't used it yet, but I've played with it, DaVinci Resolve for video editing. Uh, it seems like a really great editor. So anyway, um, I have uninstalled the entire Adobe suite, got it off my computer. There's no more background services in Adobe Creative Cloud and all that stuff running all the time and trying to update and all doing all that stuff. It's just, it's done, gone. I've canceled my subscription. It's out of here. I'm done with it. Hmm. Very curious. I'm especially confused as to why you had such reliability issues even of late because and i wonder sometimes too how much of the hardware is the issue it's not reliability so much as just i've been frustrated with adobe I, i wouldn't say it's unreliable although i i don't see it's more like the way they approach software than the reliability of it so when every time photoshop updates 
it puts an entirely new application and a new folder with new preferences that don't bring over my old preferences. So Adobe Photoshop 2021 uh, is not the same, or 2020 is doesn't pick up anything that I had set up and, and all my preferences from Photoshop 2019. And they're both installed side by side. And I'm just like, no, I don't, don't want that. Don't want it. That's not the way software is supposed to work. Get it away from me. And in addition, it's always just running stuff in the background. Creative Cloud has to be running and it has to be contacting the licensing server. And it pops up all the time and says, hey, did you know your application's out of date? Let me, I'm, oh, or more recently, it's like, hey, did you know I just updated this application for you? It's what I do to keep your applications <laughs> up to date. Yeah. By the way, did okay, you know that? It. And I'm like, Ah, yeah, not a like fan it. of those attributes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not a big fan. But but I highly so and and the other frustrating thing for me was I had to I I was paying fifty nine bucks a month for the it, full suite, even though I only used three of those applications and one of them once a year. Um, there was no package that included the things that I needed. The photo package only includes Photoshop and photo editing tools. The the document. Um, the, the layout package or whatever they call it only includes InDesign and related tools. And I need to, I, I, I both lay out documents and I edit photos, go figure. So it was just super frustrating. And I started playing around with affinity publisher and affinity photo and affinity photo is as good as Photoshop for the things that I do. I can't speak for the things you do for the things I do. It's just as good. Affinity publisher is better than InDesign in every conceivable way. Interesting. It is just way better. I've had my uh, eye on their applications for a long time. They do, do look awfully appealing. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole tangent side note. Um, you were going to ask me something about something. Well, I think if there was one thing that made the biggest difference of Apple's releases in 2020, it's got to be the M1 processor. Oh, yeah. If, if, the, if we got nothing else, it would have had to have been that. But on a personal basis, what was the product that you were most excited about over Apple's product line in the year for yourself? I mean, are you, were you most excited about the M1 or was it your iPhone 12 mini? I have a hard time deciding between my... Happiest uh, about Big Sur? I have a hard time deciding between the Apple Watch or the iPhone 12 mini. Probably the Apple Watch because I'd been living with a watch that was just getting worse and worse over time that was a non-Apple Watch, and I was frustrated with it and hated it. And um, it's the device that I it's, – it's constantly on my person. I'm constantly interacting with it and constantly using it, so it's been the most life-changing. I think that with the watch, it also alleviated – I was hating my iPhone 6S, but then when I got the watch, it's like, well, you know, I do have to interact with the 6S from time to time. And it, I didn't – it was a fine phone. It's just old, long in the tooth and old and slow. Um but but because I had the watch, I didn't have to interact with the phone as much. And so I was like, oh, well, this is fine. And so I'm very happy with the 12 Mini, and it's probably my second favorite product release of the year. But probably the watch. I'm going to have to go with the watch. Cool. Yeah, it's a great product. And I'm glad that you got out of the bandwagon now. I you know, I want to experiment with Apple Fitness Plus here in a few days. And I know that one big draw for that product is how it connects to the Apple Watch and how you can use them in tandem. I think it's going to be interesting to see where Apple goes with this because I've been using a third-party fitness application now for a few years and paying a premium for its membership and all of its features on the iPhone app. That also syncs to my Apple Watch. But if Apple keeps it up, they could replace that third-party application that I'm running as well. I just Mm. think that at the present, I'm happier with their 
total body fitness workouts, um, how it measures my metrics, uh, letting me do some more things to do with weightlifting rather than cardio style workouts on a regular basis, how they organize those workouts and show the next workout to use in progression. So it's curious. Apple may be really onto something with fitness, but kind of like your hesitance with jumping into Big Sur, I'm I'm hesitant with jumping into Fitness Plus, so I'm the skeptic that's going to give it a try. Okay. Well, we'll see how it goes. Uh, of course, the last thing that Apple announced, the last big thing, is we've already talked about it, so we'll just mention that they did it. December 8th, they released AirPods Max. Um, and I don't know if you have anything more to say about that. We kind of already talked about it. Yeah, as a product announcement, I think that a lot of people already were paying attention to the rumors. And I don't usually listen to them and believe them. So when they finally said, this is real, and here it is, guys, December 8th, it actually kind of was unexpected to me just because the November 10th Apple event was called One More Thing. Mm. So Apple had one more thing to announce and drop after the One More Thing event. (laughs) And I was really happy because I was much more interested in buying the AirPods Max at this time than picking up a new MacBook, even though I am very excited about the new processors. So, yeah, yeah, I'm very grateful. Apple seemed to really pull it together for uh, a difficult year. They were not (laughs) taking it too easy. They worked hard and they they delivered tons. Yeah, yeah, they really put the pedal to the metal. And, you know, speaking of pedal to the metal and all the fitness plus and talk and the, my Apple, my, my fitness tracking Apple watch, I need to edit this episode and then go get on the treadmill and burn some of my, uh, Christmas cookie calories. So I think this is a great place to, to wrap it up. Um, Joe, if people want to talk to you more about Apple's roadmap or your AirPods max, um, where are they going to be able to do that at? I am JCS Darnell on Twitter. I'm happy to talk to you. So catch up with me there. Me there and uh, if you, yeah, want to discuss any of the stuff or just let us know something that you would like us to discuss next time, let me know about it. And if you want to talk to me about any of Apple event stuff or anything that Apple released, uh, our year in review for Apple or my switch to Microsoft Edge or my issues with Apple TVOS, you can contact me on Twitter as well. I am TJ Draper Pro. You will find show notes for this episode at nightowl.fm slash hi-fi slash 16. This is our 16th episode, so find us there. Be sure to share that link with uh, with anybody who you think might be interested in listening to the show. Be sure to drop by uh, Apple uh, Podcasts and uh, give us a five-star rating. That would help people find the show if you're enjoying the show. And if you're not, do it anyway. We want you to do that. So, <laughs> And so we will talk to you in the next episode. We don't know what we're talking about yet, but we'll figure it out between now and then. So we'll see you then. Bye.